0: Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello, and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. My name is Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and a horse feeder, as usual. Uh, I have with me, co-hosting today, uh, a listener to the show, a friend from Facebook. Her name is Dr. Sarah Meyer. Sarah, how are you doing?
1: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: Sarah is coming from Nebraska, uh, where she is a dentist. How long have you been a dentist there?
1: Since 2011. So 2011. year okay. seven and okay.
0: some change. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, um... What kind, of, what kind of work do you do there? Are you, are you a general dentist, specialist, anything like that?
1: Yep, general dentist. I practice four days a week in private practice with a group, and then I do a half day a week at the dental school here, which happens to be Creighton in Omaha.
0: Okay, okay. So I was, I was mistaken. I When I told you earlier, I, had, I have not been to Omaha. Although, if I were flying into Lincoln, is there an airport in Lincoln? We must have flown into Lincoln.
1: I honestly don't know. I think Omaha would be the main hub i've never had to fly in or out of lincoln so i don't even know if i want to say
0: i want to say i actually flew into a tiny little airport so i think it must have been lincoln so i'm not sure i've ever been to omaha i've only been well, to you're lincoln. missing out i know right because <laughs> i i interviewed in nebraska and so that would be that would be lincoln and um they're crazy about their football team there that's about the only oh, thing yes. i really remember that and the run, <laughs> runs up that's what i remember so so uh You were wondering, or you you had uh, messaged me about something that I find very interesting. Like, in a rant, maybe in the last couple episodes, I've been talking about how frustrating it is to... The problem, though, is that we have to work on people. You know, like, like, not even the personalities and the grumpy and all that stuff and, you know, and the money things. But literally, there's a lot of people that are just freaking hard to work on. Like, a basic procedure is really hard because either they can't or they won't open wide enough or their soft tissue attachment is super high super tight all that stuff. And and so there's there's a part of me that goes why can't we categorize this and freaking charge more for people that are hard to work on because you know w- dentists generally speaking take it upon themselves to just do to to make it out like every job we do is always as good as every other job and you know the patient Factors don't really matter when they totally do, and that's one of the reasons that you you messaged is you're kind of getting around that a little bit. Do you, but do you agree though that like patient variation is something that we never talk about, but we pretty much deal with on a daily basis?
1: Oh yes, <laughs> makes a huge difference. How wide can they open? How what's, big is that tongue? What's the thing, what's the thing the that tongue? drives
0: you the most nuts? Like if there's one, I'm trying. I'm going to think. I, I haven't ever really thought about that. I uh
1: man, a huge tongue is is always a battle.
0: Yeah. But I feel like I feel like a rubber dam. I don't use rubber dam all the time, but I use it quite a bit. That that will a rubber dam. Austin often, oftentimes helps with that because, uh, especially if their tongue isn't numb, they realize there's a barrier in the way, so they stop messing. So but I will say that the person who who uh, just lately it's happened three or four times last week. The person you have to say again and again to open, 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 and they, they close on you. <laughs> uh, that is like my least. And everyone's like, well, use a bite block. And for some reason, those are the people that can never tolerate a bite block, ever. It nope, drives me crazy. can't handle it. <laughs> or, or they don't understand that they can close down and rest on the bite block, so they continue to try and open, and then and the then bite block around. just floats around. Exactly. Yep. Okay, so I'm not the only person that's ever run into this. It drives me bananas. It's crazy. And I always feel like everyone always on Facebook has a perfect solution, and, and I, I picture that their life is perfect, and they never have a, a struggle. But I, I can't imagine that's exactly right.
1: Yeah, I do feel like those people end up with a slight punishment already, even though we're not charging them more, because their work is probably not quite as good. I it's know. probably not gonna last quite as long. So that's maybe their punishment
0: Perhaps, for not being but, still <laughs> But I would argue that we're probably held to whatever standard we're held to as dentists, right? I mean yeah, now I don't true. I don't know that you can tell the composite that where isolation was more compromised. I don't know that you can tell that You know, you probably you're right. You would tell it more in how long the thing lasts, maybe. But it's just frustrating to me that a patients don't understand this. And I'm the last guy who's going to stop and explain that you're a pain in the ass to work on. And this is why things are going to go poorly. Although sometimes I feel like they should hear that because if there was anything they could consciously do, we should probably give them the chance. You know, I'd love to say, look, you know. When people do surgery on you, you don't have to worry about it because you're knocked out and they they make sure they have access no matter what. We don't do that because you're conscious basically. So Yeah, the
1: doctor that I work with, he's been practicing 40 years and I, every once in a while I will hear him tell somebody, "I can't do my best work if you don't hold still." And like mm-hmm. he'll be kind of mean, and it usually works.
0: Well, and and I mean, I am not I'm not comfortable being mean, except for the fact that I think you're right. I really do. I think that I think that I think that there's something to that. In other words, when they realize you mean business and that, that it's not, you know, you being a, I don't know, I, it's frustrating to me. It really is. And I, it's something that people don't talk about very much. And I feel like there's solutions that we have, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, like an isolate or a Mr. Thirsty sort of bite block thing, which are pretty good, but they're not, they're not a perfect solution either. Uh, Definitely rub, not. rubber dam, rubber dam is a good solution in a lot of cases, but you know what? Even my best rubber dam placements don't look as good as the guys on Facebook, no matter how good I try. So, so it's like, so sometimes it's not as perfect as that, but you have been talking about what you've been doing in your office. Tell me a little bit about, a little bit about, uh, working with a nurse and esthetist. I'm, I'm curious.
1: So, um, yeah, the practice that I joined, they were kind of built up as a sedation practice. Um, and originally the doctor that started it, he had been doing his own sedation and then he found it extremely stressful and just was like. Not putting them as deep, so the patients were still semi-awake and talking, because I was as deep as he would feel comfortable taking them. Um They'd had pretty good amnesia, so they didn't necessarily remember it, but they're still being difficult if they're talking to you.
0: <laughs> I do love, um, I do love the fact that you you like qualify how good of the anesthesia or the amnesia is, which is in all seriousness, yeah. it is though for for a dental procedure, it's what you, you really don't want them to remember anything.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, um, we decided that a lot of patients were kind of asking about sedation again because, like, he was kind of built up as a sedation practice. And so I didn't really want to take that on myself. I was kind of—I feel like there's enough to worry about with all the dentistry going on. So we brought in a nurse anesthetist, and it is awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the the nurse comes in, and the patients pay him totally separately. Um, they pay us a $100 management fee because we have to procure the drugs. He's not legally allowed
0: to procure
1: the drugs. So they pay us a $100 management fee for the sedation, and then they pay him. Um, it starts at $600 for our area, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of by hour. So if he can do it in two hours, it's 600 but after two hours, it goes up another 100 an hour or so. Um, okay. And yeah, so they come in, they, he checks um, their medical history and make sure we kind of pre-screen them. If there's some major red flags, then we make them get an H and P from their medical doctor. Um, So we're kind of covering ourselves a little bit that way. And I mean, if they have absolutely no airway and if they're teeny tiny little mouths and you know, maybe morbidly obese and, there, you know, factors that sure. would just make sedation extremely difficult, then we might not do it. But most people are, are candidates. And yeah, I love working on asleep people.
0: <laughs> well, it's okay. Let me, let me dig into that a little bit. So do you, um do you, do you do the screening of the patient and then kind of pass that on to the nurse anesthetist? In other words, for medical, I mean, like, you know, any adult patients that are fifty plus years old are taking a lot of medications. A lot of them have some complicated medical history. How? Who is? I, I hate to even put it this way, but who's liable for that? In other words, like, do you screen them, and then the nurse anesthetist does another medical screening for, for because they're yeah, they're we the specialist. Do screening. Yeah, they're yeah. the specialists in anesthesia. So I mean, like, they they may see red flags that you don't see, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not sure, like, if they're if they're young and healthy and there's they're not taking any medications. Um, we still kind of run it past their medical doctor. Um, just say any, anything that we're missing. And then, so they're, they have to get an MD signature that says they're, they can have anesthesia. Um, and then, but if there's a little more complex, like we had a, a down syndrome patient this week. Um, and so I texted him, I was like, what are the things we need to be looking for? Like, what do you want to know? Um, and he gave me a huge list. There's a lot of Craniofacial issues, actually, with Down's, and so we ended up deciding she'd be better off at a at the hospital. Sure,
0: sure, it's it's tough too because I mean, okay, I I have that has some appeal to me being able to work on asleep patients. Now, um, what are you? I guess first up, my best friend does a lot of sedation, and he does some himself. He's moving towards more and more with a nurse and anesthetist. And his point is like, you know, the problem is is that. You kind of need your attention on the, the, that's the way they do it in hospitals too. I mean, you, you someone's responsibility is making sure that patient is airways okay and they're doing okay and all that stuff. Uh, that person maybe ought not be worrying about whether they can find the MB2 on 14 when they're right. really, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're really dividing your attention like crazy and frankly, <laughs> you kind of have their life in your hands a little bit on on one end of that thing. So to me, if I were to bring sedation into my office, I would want a nurse anesthetist because I'm such a chicken about stuff like that anyhow. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I would want to do anyhow. So what, tell me this, what training do you have to do when you're working with a nurse anesthetist? Do you have to go through all the, the same kind of training you would if you were doing it yourself or not really?
1: Um, not really. So I have not taken any of the big courses. Um, we just have basic like CPR and, um, like BLS, Okay. Um, but other than that, like I'm kind of interested to get a little more just as of for my own information. It makes sense.
0: If you're doing it a lot and you've got a nurse anesthetist right there doing this stuff, you're like, I'd like to know what you're doing, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. But I don't um, I don't know if it's very state by state, but we don't have to have it since we're not doing it.
0: Sure, sure. That's I don't know. I, I have to say, I'm jealous beyond jealous that you're doing this. And which tells me I could at least look into seeing I mean, I, I'm sure it's state by state. What's allowed is is different yeah. in state by state, and I I won't lie to you I haven't even looked, and I'm like man, yeah. there's, there's a lot that I would love to do on sedated patients now. So so the the patient pays you a hundred bucks because you got to get the drugs, which mm-hmm. would probably be a problem for me because I just don't even want to dabble in that anymore with my addiction history. But I know that that's not a huge thing for a lot of folks. But I know I, I've done some research since then, since then, realizing that even just storing those drugs and getting them, you need to you need to be you know crossing the t's dotting the i's on that stuff. So how how do you guys go about that? Do you do you you know do you go through a, a, a We do, order
1: them through our uh supply rep and mm-hmm. we keep them in a safe.
0: Okay. Okay, so you've got you've got the double probably triple lock thing like all that stuff and how do you and they're they're monitored in a way that that well, okay, so probably the nurse anesthetist does the the wasting of the extra stuff and all that yeah they probably he manage documents them.
1: how okay. much he used the procedure. So you really just yeah. have to
0: get him get him in the safe and you're good basically. yeah, ah, that's not so. and
1: bad. I, I don't even get them the office manager gets them sure so. <laughs> sure sure. Yeah.
0: I okay. So so that part's not such a huge deal. Now, who is it that's taking advantage of this in your office? I mean, you said you guys have marketed for some time as sedation dentist. So that's that's one thing. People kind of know know that that's a service you offer from the get go. Is that right?
1: Right. Yeah. We don't necessarily advertise like um, actively, but over the last forty years, with the other guy, he had been doing a lot of it. So kind of word of mouth um and so a lot of patients had come originally because that was the only way they would get treatment done and they're like what do you mean he's not doing it anymore so we kind of were like oh we need to figure this out um so yeah we see a lot okay so
0: does does he do with the does he do it now with a nurse anesthetist too
1: he doesn't do it at all he's interesting he's down to two days a week he's just kind of
0: okay okay so he's he's on the way out he's sort of in retiring mode okay so so but what's cool about that is you sort of picked up his shtick from a while back and are doing it in a little different way. I like that a lot, by the way. I think that's very cool. That's okay. So how did you connect with your nurse anesthetist?
1: Um, So at one point in time, the previous doctor was like, well, I don't really, this is kind of stressful. I don't really love doing this with doing all of it. So he had previously worked with him a few times, but um, uh, the previous doctor didn't feel comfortable putting him very deep and the nurse anesthetist takes them pretty deep where they're they're snoring like they're they're not awake at all yep um and so he didn't feel really comfortable with that and so they just kind of stopped working together not out of any animosity just comfort level i
0: i you know i have to say though that it doesn't surprise me um that comfort level comes into it because you're like it's not something that we were you know Okay, oral surgeons do a lot of this, but they were trained on this, and this is they you know, they're they have a level of comfort that's like that's like in sedation that's that's quite high. Whereas, you know, that was part of the curriculum and they went to school for an extra four years or whatever. This was something they were doing on a regular basis. I don't see that becoming you know, you'd have to do a lot of that kind of thing, I think, before you got comfort level. Where nurse anesthetists also were this is what they do training wise. Now, my question for you, does your nurse anesthetist only do dentists or are they OR as well? Are they, or is, I mean,
1: he started off as a, uh, uh, doing everything, but he's gotten busy enough in Omaha. He goes between a couple of practices Okay, that he's full time dental only.
0: That's very cool. That's, I mean, like, I, and I think that that probably happens in in big enough towns where, where they can do that I wonder if it's going to be it's a smaller a smaller town like where I am is, it might be a little yeah
1: you probably not probably not have the same I don't know though availability. I, could, I could
0: certainly I, I need like I said I literally haven't checked so I don't even know so okay so you've got a nurse anesthetist you're pretty comfortable with how do you have like a standing date where you put those patients in or, or does do you schedule to you know on days that you know the nurse anesthetist is available how does that work?
1: Um, yeah, so he has a, a schedule that we have availability to check and see what days he has free. Um, we've been doing not quite every Wednesday. We're not quite that busy, but maybe twice a month. Um we usually for whatever reason, Wednesday's a good day. Mm-hmm. And we book out um, when, when possible that's a sedation day. Mm-hmm. And so um, we go back to back. Usually, it's just two patients. Mm-hmm. Most people that are, haven't, haven't gone to the dentist in 10 years cause they're so afraid they have to be asleep for it. So there's quite a bit to do to catch them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's usually two patients. Um, and then we, we get to leave a little earlier that day since we've been working all morning.
0: Sure. Well, tell what, what kind of cases are you seeing? Like, what are you doing? You doing a lot of surgery, you doing a lot of restorative, what, like, what, what's a typical sedation case for someone who's there's been. There's
1: the full gamut. There's sure. people that won't let their, let anyone even clean their teeth without sedation. Mm-hmm. There's people that only need it for surgery. Um, I did a full mouth two weeks ago. Um, just extractions and dentures. Um, and then I think the patient in the afternoon, we ended up doing one crown, one filling. So, um, yeah, just whatever the patient needs basically.
0: It's what's interesting to me is, and I, I've had this, this uh, philosophical debate with actually Dawn Kulingowski has been on the show a bunch. She's been on dental hacks a bunch and she's it's she's
1: a, my hero. Yeah, she is. She's she's
0: everyone's hero. But if she were here, she would be scolding us for even having this conversation, because she she feels like you know what, uh, people should be able to handle dentistry, like like the <laughs> the risks involved with sedation. Now, mind you, these are risks that you're not really taking on because you use a nurse anesthetist, and that's I, I I dig that for the fact that I don't want to take on that kind of. But she's at, you know philosophically going under anesthesia is never something to be taken lightly. I think a lot of people who are familiar with and comfortable with it would say it's not that big of a deal, but it's a risk that you may not have to take if you could just suck it up. The question is for people who've gone this long, <laughs> clearly they're not making any behavioral changes. You know, they uh, her Dawn's solution is you know what, go to therapy first. Go to therapy first and get get your <laughs> get your phobia taken care of. But and I'm I'm certainly not pointing this at you necessarily. But what are your thoughts on that? How do my buddy Bart tells me basically. What happens is over time, a lot of these patients can do less and less sedation. And over time, yes. they actually become mm-hmm. decent dental patients where they don't need the sedation. That that was something that he didn't necessarily plan on. Some people never get off of it. This is just how they do it. But some people find that they don't need as much after they've had some good experiences. Have you run into that?
1: Yeah, we definitely have that experience. Um, a lot of people will come in initially for they think they need the full sedation or maybe they do it the first time. And then now their gums don't hurt as much because they got the scaling and yeah, are planning yeah, done. Yeah, totally. And so they can brush better, and then they're able to maybe just do it with nitrous the next time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will end up, yeah, it's not needing it after the first couple of, of visits.
0: Which is, I mean, it's a huge savings to them if, if money's an issue for them. I mean, that's it's a bunch of dollars to have the sedation done where it's, you know. It is.
1: That's the main barrier. I think more people would do it if it wasn't such a steep barrier, but it has to be. There's no way around I it. I agree.
0: I agree. I mean, you're you're sort of monitoring their life signals and such. I mean, that's kind of an important thing. That's, it's just, it. the whole concept is fascinating to me. So tell me, like, I have never worked on a sedated patient that I know of. Oh, it's I, the best. <laughs> I, I, I mean, my dad had nitrous oxide in his office. I don't think nitrous is probably the same thing, maybe a little bit, but, and actually I have to tell you that pediatric patients with a TV above them I've been told they're much like a sedated patient. But, yeah, but tell, so, so tell <laughs> me for a noob who's never done it, what's what what's good and what's weird? What do you have to do differently?
1: Um, so they um, when the nurse is getting them initially into their their uh, level of sedation, you have to put in the bite block right away. Otherwise, they'll go kind of like into a tense state, and you can't get them to open.
0: Ah, interesting. Okay. So we
1: do have to put the either the bite block or the isolite in right away um, and then after that he has a lot of control if they're if he wants them more more flexible he can change the dosage slightly and and then in a few minutes we can do whatever we need to do to move the bite block
0: or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: or switch sides or so basically um, once
0: they're in a relatively sedated state they're they're kind of they're kind of locked up a little bit huh they're not They're yeah
1: they just kind of go through a, a phase where everything gets real tense and you can't get them to open first it's, okay. it's not a long period of time but it's long enough that we try to plan ahead for it. Sure. Okay. Um, and then the yeah, pretty much have to use a rubber dam. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, sometimes an isolate will be okay, but mm-hmm. he really prefers the rubber dam for keeping water out of the back of the throat.
0: Yeah, because he's worried um, about their airway like crazy. Yes. So mm-hmm. is he is he doing a nasal cannula then? Is he doing it through the yes. nose? Okay. Okay.
1: Yep. And uh, he's got um, he's got some other other little tools if need be, but. Yeah, we have to have a capnographer yeah. to measure their CO two and yeah. There's some certain there are some extra equipment you would have to obtain. Sure, sure. Not a ton, but um, a few extra little safety devices. And I he think, has most of them, but we had to get a few of them.
0: Sure. I think the technology is such too that that the monitoring equipment is significantly less bulky and less expensive now than it used to be. It used to be yeah. that it was a re- it was a really expensive deal. And, and I mean, like you almost need to have like an OR set up in your, and I've been in a, a couple operatories where they're doing, it's not, it isn't, it isn't so obnoxious to have that set up anymore. So, I, and I do, th- I think the technology is, is aiming towards being able to do this more, you know, in a, whether it's a dental office or, or some other kind of non-operating room situation. So it's not, it's not over the top. And, and I know that it's, it's several thousand bucks, but once you get it, it's kind of durable equipment that doesn't change very much.
1: Yep, I think the main requirements are you have to have room for a, a wheelchair, mm-hmm. um, so maybe some ops would be too small. You have to have portable oxygen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which most people doing nitrous yep. would have anyways. Yep. Um, you have to have uh, the reversal drugs on hand Sure. Um, and then your standard emergency kit.
0: That's not too bad at all. It's yeah, even less than I, I thought. Think that's so pretty much all of it, do you guys yeah. have the you guys have the little thing you put on their finger for CO two or, or yep, saturation yep, or all that. Yeah, the sure. Oxygen, sure. Yeah, sure. but that's and then he I brings
1: mean, the capnographer. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. But I mean, honestly, the oxygen saturation thing is that's that's a few hundred bucks. That's like not even expensive anymore. That's yeah, pretty typical stuff. So yeah, no, and the
1: best part is, so he comes in, gets them sleepy, and then you don't even use topical because you don't want the extra saliva to form. Sure. And so I, my habit is to go really, really slow and wiggle the cheeks when I inject. Mm-hmm. Um, so I forget when they're asleep; I don't have to go slow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, oh yeah, you can just go zing, zing, zing. Yep, because
0: they, really, they really, they uh, really don't <laughs> have they, they, they're really not feeling it. Is that what your thoughts are?
1: Um, so I think they can still feel it, but they're not reacting to it. Okay. okay.
0: Um,
1: but we always and they'll do. forget
0: is the beautiful thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> they won't remember. But you definitely it.
1: want to. I don't think that you have to go slow for the injection, but you have to do the, you definitely have to get them numb because you, uh, you can block the, the pain cascade basically. Sure. Sure. Um, so you don't want them to, to, they will wake up if it's, if they're not sufficiently numb. Yeah. And that's, your, they'll, they'll react a little yeah, more.
0: Your anesthetist wants them to not, <laughs> to not, not feel it. Yeah. exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. So you can go so fast like that. You don't have to stop. Are you okay? Am I bothering you? Is it bumpy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, think you about that go. though
0: too. Think of how much. Think of how much time we. It'd be funny to like have a videotape of an appointment. Think of how much time we spend, like having conversations about either completely non-dental anything or, are you okay? Are you you, know, are you comfortable or whatever? That's we do spend a lot of time doing that. I think. I think
1: a lot. <laughs> re- reasonable
0: people ask their patients if they're doing okay.
1: Yeah, it's surprising how fast you can go when you don't have to really interact with the patient.
0: It's it's funny that you say that, but I, I mean, because it sounds sort of heartless. But the reality <laughs> is, is, talk talk to any surgeon who works in an OR; they don't care. they're fast. They do not mess around, and they do not yeah. have to talk to the patient. It's for
1: their advantage to go fast. They know they don't want to be under for longer than necessary.
0: So all this chairside manner you've been developing over the years to have good good relationships with your patients can totally well, you go up. Talk
1: there. to them when they're done. So. Yeah, that's right. That's
0: right. Well, you can put on your happy face when you're done. I like that. <laughs> yeah, you can set it aside. That that has appeal to me. Not because I'm a monster necessarily. Maybe it is, but but I just I the idea of you know you've probably heard me say it's like dealing with patients. It's you're always on. It's the show, and you don't actually have to do that part of the show when they're asleep. That's a
1: huge yep, deal. I've never great. thought about it. I've
0: never <laughs> thought about that. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Uh, so you would you're 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 pro sedation on all this.
1: Very pro sedation. If everyone could do it, they should.
0: <laughs> but on the other hand, you would recommend working with a nurse anesthetist, It sounds like too.
1: I mean, for me, I just, I'm, I'm like you, I'm kind of risk averse. I don't like, I would feel, I feel like I would never sleep again if something happened on my watch. Yeah. And so somebody else managing the sedation makes me feel a lot more you comfortable. Remember, okay, so
0: here's the deal. Every news story of a patient that's died in the chair of a dental office has had to do with some kind of sedation. And I yep. would bet you 99% of them didn't have a nurse anesthetist there at the time. They were probably a dentist that was trying to manage it. And let's be honest. They always say in the news stories if it's an oral surgeon or a pediatric dentist, where they always say dentist. They never, they mm-hmm. never say, they never say this was a complicated surgery. They never give the the dentist the benefit of the doubt. And I don't know this, what's going on. Maybe the people were just awful, but the reality is, is that um, you know there's stuff happens in ORs too, but but people kind of accept that risk where. When it's done in a dental office, all of a sudden we're terrible monsters for not, you know, for, for doing this stuff. It's, so I, I'm on board with the nurse anesthetist idea like crazy because that's what they're that's their only job in that room is to is to make sure that they're sedated and that their heart is beating and that they're breathing and getting plenty of oxygen. I love that.
1: Yep, yeah, it's great.
0: So you have some patients that uh, would be, uh, I would say, unconventional in most dental offices that you were telling me about, too. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs>
1: So I've gotten to be very lucky. i kind of just in the right place at the right time. And I get to be one of the zoo helpers at the Omaha Henry Dorley Zoo. So um, I've gotten to work on tigers, bears, gorillas, orangutans. If I if I could just do that all day, every day, that's what I would do. But it's volunteer.
0: So yeah, yeah. I do have to pay off the, my student the pay, loans. The pay is a little rough on that deal. Yeah, Yeah,
1: but the patients are the best.
0: That, okay, so <laughs> so... so Okay, this is amazing. So you work on all these. How long you been doing that?
1: Um, maybe about three to four years. Oh,
0: my gosh. How often do you get to go in and work on critters? <laughs>
1: um, at least six times a year. Oh, wow. Um, so my, um, the head of the Creighton Endo Department, um, he went to high school with one of the vets. Mm-hmm. And they're good friends. And the vets were having a really hard time getting this tiger to stop bleeding through his tooth. Yeah. And so they called him and they're like, man, what would you do? So he came over and he took care of it. And they're like, wow, you're way better at root canals than we are. Why don't you just do all of them? And so when I was a student, he would show these awesome pictures of a white tiger Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or or a monkey. And then when I graduated, I ended up helping out in the endo department um, half day a week. And his uh, other helper had moved. And I was like, Dr. Beeson, who's your new zoo helper? And he said nobody else has asked, so I've gotten to help out. I'm I'm definitely not important. I don't make any decisions. <laughs> I, uh, I, I I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to. I just want to be
0: able to say I was there. Like that's awesome. right.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm extra. He probably doesn't really need me, but it's I get to go, so I'm not going to complain.
0: Okay, the Chicago Midwinter some years ago. It's been it's been a while actually. I I'm I'm bummed that I don't remember the guy's name. If he's if you happen to be listening, you know who you are. Because he spoke at the Chicago Midwinter for like three hours on being a veterinary dentist, um, and I have to tell you, I can't remember if I think he was a dentist first and then got into the veterinary side of things, but that's like all he did. So I'm wondering if maybe he's a veterinarian then who trained it. I don't know. In any case, uh, veterinary dentistry is very, um, as you probably know, it's 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 pretty um it's pretty basic. Like it's not like most of the fancy dentistry you see done on animals has been done by a dentist who, who was working with a vet like like the veterinarians have but what i what what i remember most about that lecture is pretty much all almost all veterinary dentistry is endodontics endodontics or yes. or surgery you know they don't it's basically teeth that have the the pulp has been exposed in some way or another typically broken teeth or whatever and and <laughs> they take the X ray and what I remember about seeing these X rays is the roots. A lot of it is on dogs. The roots on some of these posterior teeth in dogs is massive, like. And if you take the if you take the tooth out, like like the face is going to cave in. Like this tooth is huge on these. So I can only imagine when it's like on a tiger or something like that. So the, that reality- is the
1: exact reason they do the endos because yeah, if they hurt it, to extract one of those giant yeah. In canines, that's like a fourth of their jaw.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's like maybe I'll, I'll look and see if I can find some some photos on the internet. But it's insane. You're just like, okay. So, and the other thing is, like, there is no such thing as really finding a file system that's going to go and clean out the shape of these teeth because they're so different than what what we think of as human teeth. They're these giant pulp chambers. But what I remember is is this guy, and I don't know if this is the case for you guys, but this guy found that that a a Fuji nine style glass ionomer after cleaning that out is just like that's what they fill with they just fill those babies with glass ionomer and and, you know hope for the best in a lot of cases they I think they do I think they do like a, a cleaning protocol like you know conventional endo as much as you can but the reality is you're you know you're limited a by the fact that you know you've got this snoozing tiger on a table that you don't really want under anesthesia any longer than you need to uh, limitations on how you can do radiography, how you can instrument the teeth and all that stuff. That, I, I have to say, I remember more of that lecture than probably most any other lecture I've ever taken. So it was <laughs> fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. So tell me tell me about that. Tell me, am I, am I wrong? Am I right? Am I in, in the ballpark?
1: In the ballpark. Um, so they do have a lot of special vet um, dental tools. Um, and so they usually, you know, these are endangered species, so they plan ahead pretty well mm-hmm. and make sure we have all the Equipment that we need before we before they bring the animal in. Sure. Um. So yeah, there are ginormous files. Oh wow. That um are like as long as your arm. Oh wow. And there are um for the obturation, if it's a primate, we're usually doing gutta percha. Yeah. Yeah. The um uh, but for the yeah the big the big predators the bears and the tigers um either MTA or Ooh, um like MTA, a long term. MTA. Interesting. Taste. Okay. Yeah. This is
0: the thing. I don't think MTA was such a thing back when I saw this guy. This is probably eight or ten years ago, so I'll, it makes perfect sense. MTA would make a ton of sense, right? Yeah, because it's cheap and it's it's bioactive. I, I like that. I hadn't thought about that. Interesting. So, so what uh, what do what kind of primate teeth have you had to work on recently? Give us give us a, a case. Um, study or a I've story. gotten to
1: do um, so the gorillas and the orangutans. Their their anatomy is. Almost identical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have a little bit bigger primate spaces, mm-hmm. but <laughs> other than that, it's the same. And so I have gotten to do fillings nice. on on the gorillas. Um, there's one that likes to suck on fruit. And I was so just going to say, do, do, so do they, so they're So they carries
0: <laughs> prone because they like sweets yep. as much as people do.
1: Yep. And uh, I know there was a bear that had a really bad sugar habit, and so that bear ended up losing a lot of teeth.
0: Well, but, you know, and uh, the other thing is okay. So, so like, we, we, a couple of years ago, we were in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, they had they have a, a a little zoo, and it's really funny. You'd think, geez, the, the UP is sort of a tourist trap in the summertime right now, and uh, you'd think this zoo would be really cheesy. You know, it was great. It was an awesome little family zoo. But they have this <laughs> they have this little tube. You can buy an apple, and 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 you can put the apple through this tube, and it'll go down into the bear habitat. <laughs> This was one fat bear. And he I like bet. like you said, <laughs> eating fruit all day long. So I'm thinking to myself, and of course, you know, bears are no different than people. Given a chance, you don't have to work for it, sit in the shade and eat sweets. Why wouldn't you? So I so that you're you're saying that bears can get cavities, is what you're saying.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> nice. Yep. Gorillas and orangutans too.
0: That's really funny. That's really f so orangutans are are also sweets, people, sweets animals. Yep. Interesting. I don't, you know, I didn't even, so, and their teeth are similar enough to human teeth that, like, you're able to use composite or amalgam or something like that? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um,
1: so, with the, depends on the animal, um, sometimes they want us to, because they're so heavy, like the black bears mm-hmm. are so big and so heavy that it's easier to work on the floor of their cage than to bring them into the hospital. Sure. And so, if we're working on the floor of a cave, we're probably using amalgam. <laughs> less equipment yeah
0: yeah yeah probably your yeah your isolation is probably less than optimal too so you yeah you we do don't usually use
1: rubber dams they're yeah. harder to, to <laughs> we
0: we need to get uh, we need to get lou berman from from berman instruments to come up with a um a rubber dam retainer for a bear if there's a person <laughs> who could do it it's probably him i'll get on that that's hilarious yeah
1: the the creepiest thing about the bears is they their mouths continue to move even though when they're sedated and they're um, you know, they're not going to wake up and hurt you supposedly, but mm-hmm. their lips and their tongue will, will move when you're, when you're in their mouth. And they said, Oh yeah, that's just the bear thing. They're going to move the whole time.
0: Wow. I'm like, oh <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's hard to, that's hard to, uh, I have a bear's mouth moving while I'm working on it. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's good for you. That's so cool. So bears, uh, orangutans. What's, what's the, what's the most exciting animal you've worked on? What's the, what was the Well, the, the very first case? one I got
1: to do was a Siberian tiger. Um, wow. and so we started, I think he needed a root canal first and then they found all these resorptive lesions along the gum line. Um, and so I guess it's common in felines, large and small to get resorption. And so I ended up going back in and doing a bunch of glass ionomer fillings okay. Okay. on a, on the Siberian tiger.
0: Wow. That's so cool now how do they how do they recall these animals in other words like how do they know that what you're what you're doing is like do they do they basically base it on their symptoms and pain or if they're acting funny or whatever or or, or do they do so, they yeah. actually do they actually clean their teeth? I can hardly even imagine
1: there's yeah it's situational um they every animal gets some kind of a checkup i don't know if it's yearly or bi biannual or okay. um, but there's a schedule for every animal, and so they are routinely being checked over um and they try to do as much as possible when they're, when they're oh, I'll down. I'll bet they
0: do. I'll bet they yeah. do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so the vets will find something, um, and they'll let us know. And then.
0: I remember um, it's honestly, it it almost seems like, uh, when I, when I was in my hospital dentistry rotation in Minnesota, it it was, it was kind of horrible to, to realize, but a lot of, a lot of times special needs patients where, where medically they're not going to be able to have anything done for them unless they're under sedation. A lot of times they're, on a, you know, whether it's Medicaid or some other government, you know, subsidy, they, they go to the hospital every year or two for, and basically everyone is is on call and it's go time as soon as they're under. The dentists go in, they take the x-rays, they do the exam, and do whatever needs being done. If they have any problems, like a lot of times they're diabetic and they have foot troubles, any, you know, basically anything that might need to be looked at, checked up, because they're not going to be able to do it otherwise, that's how they did it. So it sounds like that's how they do it at the zoo. Yep. Except for
1: more extreme because these are endangered animals. And so, for instance, when I was working on the tiger, they were harvesting sperm because they didn't know how long his, uh, he was, he was an older tiger Yeah. and his, he was not, he had not produced enough offspring to, so they keep track of the genetics very closely. How many, how many tiger cubs from this male, how many tiger cubs from this male. So he didn't have enough cubs to warrant uh not producing again so they were harvesting sperm from him
0: wow wow well I, they got to get the job done when he's under though that's the story how does yep. how does one sedate a tiger like did they, they, they do they were you there for the sedation
1: um so sometimes not usually so it's different for animal this time as well so some animals have been um they they work with them like the gorillas um will are, have been trained to come up to the cage and let the vets inspect them through the bars of nice. the cage. yeah. And so some animals, like a, I know one of the lions would allow you to allow the vets to, like, draw blood from his tail. He'd really? He'd trained really? to uh, come up to the cage and do certain things. So sometimes if they've been worked with enough and trained, the vets can do something um, with the animal on the other side. That was other not the answer I was to, expecting uh, at all. That is amazing
0: <laughs> to me. Now, you know, yeah. if you've ever watched – any primates for any period of time, you realize how incredibly intelligent they are.
1: So it, yes. it doesn't
0: surprise me that they could be trained to do that, but wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. I, uh, one of the days, the uh, we couldn't work on the animal for some reason. I forget why, but so we ended up going and just spending some time watching them how they train the gorillas. And it was one of the coolest things ever. Like they will do almost anything for a peanut. Yeah. Like they will open. Well, they the will other thing around, is they're, they're, they're super freaking up. smart
0: too, right? They're really yeah. like they really can do a ton of stuff. They they yeah. know a ton of stuff. They're in there like just the, just the the interaction between them in the um God, I forget which I think it was I think it was San Diego, my wife was with me so yeah I think it was San Diego. We were in uh it was at the animal park and what was crazy is how how the, even within the the little habitat the hierarchy was for the gorillas was so obvious all the way around like the one the one alpha male all he had to do was just look a little bit sideways and the whole the whole place jumped and everything. So it's amazing how much. <laughs> How much was going on in there? I can't, but it's it's also amazing that they'll do anything for a peanut. That's pretty funny,
1: yeah, it was it was one of the coolest things I ever saw was how the how it's the it's the I don't know what the word is for them, not the vets, like the zookeepers the zookeepers work with them almost every day to get them to to do certain things
0: that would be like a dream job in some ways, <laughs> you know like I, I I have a zoology major, but i uh, I always figured I was it was just a um it's just a, a step towards dental school, but that would be, I mean, if you're going to get a degree in biology and work in biology, that'd be kind of the greatest thing ever, right?
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: <laughs> so does yeah, that mean? so some
1: of the other animals, um, they have to catch, um, so they'll dart them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or um, the some of the monkeys, they, uh, they, like, catch them with nets first.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. So they'll, so I'm, I'm guessing, I'm picturing a tiger, you probably have to dart that guy because you don't want to get too close to him.
1: Yeah, I'm not. Sometimes, like they usually, if they're bringing them to the hospital, they'll usually go and get them and then bring them to us. So I don't usually get to see that part.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. Wow. So what's what's your next? When when is your next date at the at the zoo?
1: Um, Probably in the fall. So unless there's an emergency that comes up over the summer. So on the in the fall and the spring, the we bring usually a few students along, Mm -hmm. and so then it gets scheduled ahead of time, which is really nice for me because. I have private practice, and even though I would love to cancel all my patients mm-hmm. to go help mm-hmm. at the zoo, my, uh, you know, I do have to pay student loans someday. so sure, that's right. I, it's not very. Not patients don't really like to be canceled for a hippo, so yeah. I have to. Although honestly, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say this: if
0: you have to cancel them, that's. As, I can't think of a better excuse than that.
1: So. <laughs> There's a hippo with a bad tooth. I gotta go. I
0: gotta go. I gotta go. Have you actually worked <laughs> on any hippos?
1: So I was there was one little pygmy hippo. We don't have the big uh African hippos. We have a pygmy hippo and he had a broken off um it's it's called an elephantine tooth. So it goes all the way through the jaw. Yeah, of course. Um and so we were trying to figure out what to do for him because it was broken and necrotic and nobody really knew how to fix it. Sure. And so I actually emailed uh I found I Googled Hippo Vet Uh and I found a South African guy. And I emailed him, and I was like, what do you do for hippos? <laughs> and he said, well, if you can reestablish bleeding by going in and basically cleaning out sure. necrotic tissue, sure. then you can do like a pulp cap. Okay. But if it's you can't get bleeding reestablished, you have to extract it, and that is a major, major undertaking oh to extract yeah. a tooth like that. And so he said, do not attempt, get a specialist.
0: <laughs> and actually, he, a, he's the specialist, by the way. Like, is there any... right?" <laughs> Right. So he was
1: like, find somebody in in the United States who has done this before. Make sure nobody tries this if they've never done it before.
0: Oh, my God. And I think they
1: collapse. They call it like a collapsing the tooth. So they do something to the inside of the tooth. Yep. And they collapse it so they can leave the bone as much as possible and then wiggle out the pieces.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. Uh, I, and I mean, a hippo is a whole other, a whole other, uh, I mean, maybe the pygmy hippos aren't that big, but I tend to think of like, wow, that's like practically elephant stuff. That's
1: <laughs> he was very cute. And he would also open on command if you uh, gave him a treat.
0: There you go. There you go. <laughs> they know which side of their, their bread is buttered. I like that very much. Sarah, this has been nothing short of fascinating. I, I really appreciate you taking a little time. This was very fun to hear about this. I, I literally have never heard of someone being able to do this sort of stuff. That is so cool.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. If anybody has a chance to go to their local zoo and help, I would highly recommend it.
0: Definitely, definitely. And if you have any questions or comments for Sarah or for us, uh, anything like that, go ahead and email me at allen at meadfamilydental.com dot com. I'll definitely get back to you. But better than that, probably go on the Dental hack station if you have any questions or comments. This was crazy good. I really liked it a lot. So thanks a lot for uh, for coming on the show, Sarah.
1: Thank you for having me. I've been a big fan since the beginning, so it's it's uh, fun to do it.
0: I'm really glad. Well, we will talk to you again very soon. Sounds good. If you like the Alameda Experience and you want a little bit more uh, conversation, join our Facebook group, the Alameda Experience uh, group on Facebook. To get in, you have to have a password. Password is going to be either Premier or Cosmodex. You get in. Good conversations there, good fun, and we'll talk to you again next time.